listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast UK, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Rob Wall. I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by four leaders of the cybersecurity world to discuss building high-performing security teams. Uh, before we delve into the topic, let's work around the room with some introductions. Um, Diane, do you want to kick us off? Uh, yes, thanks, Rob, and thank you for having me on this podcast. So my name is Diane. I am the Chief Information Security Officer at Accurex, where we're building communication software for everyone involved in a patient's care. Uh, my experience is mostly revolving around building teams from the ground up for scale-ups and SMEs. Thanks, Dan. Christoph, Abbas? Uh, hi, Rob. Um, uh, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. My name is Abbas Heida, and I am <coughs> SecOps uh, Manager for um, Ant Group International. Uh, Ant Group is one of the, is the largest financial uh, institution in, um, in China. And um, I come from a, uh, a quite technical background. Um, you know, I was IT manager, head of IT for years before I moved to the to the cyber world. Thank you. Thanks again, Abbas. And Paul? Hey, Rob, how you doing? Um, so I'm Paul Baird. I'm the CTSO for Qualys. We are a cybersecurity company, a very large global organization. Uh, I've been in the industry for about 25 years now, sitting on the other side of the fence as a SOC manager, a global head of cybersecurity and an IT manager. Thanks. And finally, Moses. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me on this. My name is Moses Alatiba. I'm the deputy CISO for MSCI, responsible for information technology. MSCI is an index provider. Um, I come from a development background. Been doing cybersecurity for about 20 years. Great stuff. Fantastic. Okay, now we're introduced. Uh, we'll move on to the topic and focus. Um, so you all have a question or statements around building high-performing security teams. As usual, I'll work around the room uh, asking you to pose a question and the reasons behind it. Uh, give you each an opportunity to uh, to give your take on the situation. So uh, we'll kick this off with Paul. Paul, do you want to pose your question? So my question is around building high-performance cybersecurity teams um, is enough of a challenge with a dwindling recruitment pool, but how do we retain retain those quality staff? Cheers for that. Diane, do you want to come to you first? Sure. Um, so, really good question. Um, uh, I think that from my end, what I try to do to retain quality staff, I really prioritize building an environment and the culture of trust within my team. I find that what we do can be very stressful. There's lots of pressure to make certain risk-based decisions. And I find that a culture of trust within the team where people feel like they can be honest, transparent, have a safe space to say, listen, I don't know how to do this. Happy, they're feeling more healthy. Um, and uh, also because like that kind of culture creates a sense of ownership with, with the people within the team, which and ownership can sometimes also help make someone feel more, more welcome, more happy at work, which then obviously helps retain them. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Abbas, come to you. Yeah, I mean, one one of the main things that are like, you know, um, there are a couple of motivations that you can offer your staff. I'm not only talking here about uh, about money, but there are other things like uh, like career progression. What we are doing, it is worth uh, um, it. That you know, generally in you know when you are you, you when you work in in the cybersecurity world, there are a lot of pressures, as Dan explained. Uh, on your engineers, and there is a, even like more pressure coming from the C level, from the from the senior management, because for them, in in the end, somehow, you know, security is an overhead, is not bringing is not bringing any money. So um, most important bit is just to show value, to show your your stuff, what is the value of what we are doing, and uh, and probably get them more involved. Like you know, in um, what I used to do. Uh, like in my last role, it was to, you know, I, I was responsible of, <coughs> let's say, um, um, presenting the risk for, you know, for, you know, for stakeholders and stuff like that. I was, you know, all the time trying to involve my engineers, even going like on a C-level meeting um, and, and, you know, give them that exposure. It, it will make them feel better. Um, these are one, you know, some of the strategies I, I I I use to retain my quality stuff, and they always like appreciate what they are doing. In a way, do you not just say, uh, "Yeah, you are doing a great job"? No, you are doing a great job because of 
this and this and this. Thank you for doing this. Um, what I found, you know, what I found out, like, what you know, just with the years, that a lot of people just go and start praising their engineers or their staff or for nothing. So, and which is something for me, is not acceptable. I, if you want to praise me, I'm doing a good job. Tell me why. Thank you. Uh, and Moses, come to you. Yeah, similar to Diane, look, I, I, tr I try to build a, an environment of trust and an environment of collaboration where people can bring their authentic self to work and do their work as they've, um, as we've employed them to do. But I think, you know, f for me, there's a bigger focus around people and, you know, it's essentially promoting continuous learning and training for those people, which kind of empowers them for the future. Therefore, there's a bigger value add for themselves and the company. They feel like the company is supporting them. They are improving themselves and we're empowering them ready for the next kind of challenges in the, in the you know, ever changing threat landscape. Uh, also, try and encourage them to focus on collaboration across teams. So the, 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 the interaction is not just internally of your team, but also externally of your team. Therefore, encouraging them to to develop relationships across the across the firm. Um, but I, I think the, the most important thing is to kind of encourage them and um, try to to recognize people when they go above and beyond, and encourage feedback as a as a motivational tool for for for, for those high quality individuals. Um, no, I think the panelists have, have hit it on the head. I mean, th there's very much two general camps. There is the staff that are out for the bigger paycheck and there is nothing you can do, um, you know, for these. If they do want to move on because somebody's, you know, giving them a lot more money, then th there's no way you can hold them back. But to the other side in the other camp, um, you know, things like emotional intelligence, senior leadership has to understand that, that these are human beings and they're not tools anymore. And especially what we've gone through over the last couple of years as well, getting that work-life balance right. Security is a hard job, very much a hard job. And when you're putting C-level pressures on tier one and tier two SOC analysts, as an example, it, it is just not fair. So it's having that senior leadership understand what people are going through on a day-to-day -day basis, understanding you know, their career progression, I think Moses just mentioned, um, that as well, setting up objectives so then they can hit their targets and they can move forward through the company. And if you are holding them back for any reasons, at least you've got, you know, the reasons why you're doing it. Um, if they haven't hit their targets, if they haven't hit their objectives, but then it's you as a leader to figure out why they're not hitting their targets and objectives. And I think if you can be a lot more open to your staff, that's when you start to get that quality staff and retain that staff as well. Thanks. Abbas, you have You're on mute. Uh, I want to. I want to just want to add something to to what Paul said as well because I was taking notes. Uh, we we need to understand the our limits. Like you know, as as Paul said, that you might have some people coming and paying some crazy money. You can't control that all the time. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can't. But you know what what you need to as well. Like you know, enforcing trust. You know, just like not enforcing. Just say like you know, trusting your stuff. Show them that you are, they are trusted. Tell them that you are you are allowed to do mistakes. We all know that there are some hackers that it depends on what is like, you know, how the value of your assets. So you still, you always have like, you know, very, very skilled uh, hackers and stuff like that outside in the world. You can still attack, you can do your damage, even if you are doing your job. Uh, just show them that you are protected. And what we, what we, I, I, in the last, uh, in my last job, what I enforced was, you know, in terms of performance and bonuses, and it was like, if we have less than, um 20 no not 20 so, uh, less <coughs> sorry less than five p2 incidents that's what you where your bonus is gonna be uh it's gonna be bigger so you know people usually say you know they, they if you have an it team or a security team or any anyone in the technology um you know they just look you know they will only remember these teams when you have a problem and and you know so if you have less, you know, if you tell them that if you have less incidents, uh, you're going to be, you know, praised more. That will motivate them as well. So that, you know, um, that's one of the strategies we, we used in the last, in my last role, and it was very effective. So, thanks, Abbas. Okay. Um, Moses, so uh, we'll come on to you next for your question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rob. So what are the critical components required for the effective structuring and management of high-performance cybersecurity teams? We'll come to Abbas first. One of the most important bit is to, to have the support of the of the higher of the higher level. So I, I would start from there. If you don't have that, um, 
you know you you would you would never to you know you would never be able to you know to achieve you know um any hyper to have any high performance um teams um and on on the other end it's just to make sure that you have uh, one of them is to enable to 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 show people that to enable people to enable people to excel uh, to give them the power um to trust them uh, to allow to to allow them to express you know um to express themselves you know to to show their skills i mean um how many times did you have that engineer that everyone don't, didn't want to talk to you and in the end when you approach him in another way you felt you feel like it, you can get, you know, you end up getting a very, very good outcome uh, from him. Uh, good work. Um, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, good collaboration between the teams, and um, you know, um, that can 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 really as well help. Uh, just like you know, enforce the trust. Uh, yeah, that's it from me. Sorry. No, that's fine. Thank you, uh, Diane. Welcome to you. And so focusing more on uh, like building effective structuring of a team. So the way the way I, I've done it in the past is firstly, I like to do it based on the business risks, right? So aligning the structure to the business risk. So if say, for example, you're building a security team for a product company, so a company that's building products that are processing data, I would say that the structure of the team would need to be a bit different to a mar to a company that's providing a service or a marketing affiliation company. Reason being is that they have different risks. So for example, with the product company, you might need to have more AppSec engineers, for example, or more product security engineers. So I would say that the structure needs to align to business risks. Um, but also, I think that you need to structure, you need to create structure iteratively. So if so, if say, for example, your team is still very young, very, very new, you're still building your team from scratch in a company, I wouldn't say that it's good to add too much uh, hierarchy. I would say that initially it would be good to keep it flat, have, have like people owning different things, but at the same time, keep the structure flat and then start restructuring your team as the business grows, as your team matures, and there's a bit more alignment to the business. So uh, that that those are the two things that um, that I would focus on. Next time, Paul, are you uh, are you, are you with us? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> mute. <laughs> Back again, relying on yeah. a 4G connection at the moment. So sorry. Um, I did actually catch what Diane said, and I absolutely agree about that strategic alignment. Um, that is that is definitely key, but also communicating your structure to the rest of the business as well and to the rest of your team, to be fair, as your team starts to grow. I was in an organization where I started off with two SOC engineers and ended up with 27 staff in 18 months or 17 months. So it was getting that understanding of who reports to who inside your team and outside of your team as well. Um, because then you've got dependencies starting to grow, as Diane mentioned about having a new team, being able to show sort of those shining stars um, and, and starting to bring them into sort of more of a leadership role. Um, but then again, communicating that back out to the rest of the business and your teams as well. Thanks, Paul. Hey, Moses, anything to add? Yeah, no, you know, I agree, I agree with, 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 with Paul and Diane very clearly that um, to, to structure an effective high-performing cybersecurity team, you definitely need to have strategic alignment as well as kind of aligning to business requirements right so that you can really cater for for, for for the end goal you can cater for what the business needs at that point in time because the business needs will change over time obviously but i think but by doing that you kind of empower your team to be successful and you give them the ability to do something that contributes to the kind of bottom line of, 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 of the objective of the firm i also think you know as i said at the beginning empowering teams uh, so that they have the right, they have the right to make decisions and individual, individually and collectively as a group, is another key thing in structuring um, a very well managed, high performing group. You know, by providing them with all the necessary tools they need and providing them with clear instructions, they're they're then able to kind of align with those strategic and and, and risk objectives. Yeah. And just something I wanted to add was very much in line with what everyone else is saying, like communicating what the team is doing can also create a sense of ownership, which I do feel that I, I can see it even in myself that 
when I own something, I feel trusted, I feel happier at work, I feel more I feel more autonomous. And that also can link back to your first question, Rob, as well, about retaining quality staff. I staff. I think that the professionals feeling that they're trusted and feeling that they can own something and they feel accountable to it every day when they're coming to work they know that they're delivering value adding value to the business I think that can keep them happy and that obviously helps with the retention of it all retention of the team um I, I wanted to highlight what Moses just said as well about empowerment it's something that I had forgot to to mention and absolutely there's nothing worse than having a large performing team and they don't feel empowered at all and if you have one or two central points they're central points of failure especially at three o'clock in the morning or Christmas day because you know the cyber attack's going to happen at half past five on a Friday or the 24th of December when half the team are out you know you're finally as the senior leader enjoying you know a glass of whiskey with your family and you get that phone call because you haven't empowered your team or they don't know you know they don't feel entrusted so absolutely um, critical in making sure that your team feel empowered and trusted to do the be able to do their job Christoph, Christoph. and uh okay Dan we'll, uh, we'll come to you for your question next yeah, so my question was more was around generalists yes specialists so what do you think like which do we need in our team and what is the right balance what is the right balance to strike Moses come to you first yeah look I, I, my personal belief is that we need a combination of both right we need a combination of, of specialists and we need a combination of generalists and the, the look the, the the specialists will help kind of build the ecosystem they help implement the controls and build your maturity matrix but actually the 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 generalists are the people that really help you spread the word that you know if, if you look at it from a, a if you're looking at a large organization for example that has BSOs, you have these folks that go out there and evangelize about security evangelize about your controls your maturities they evangelize about your standards your policies and support all your different engineering teams in driving an adoption of those kind of uh, cultures and policies. So it's it's a good combination. My view is that you need roughly um, just over half technical and the other half generalist. But, you know, and the other key piece here is that not every job in security needs to be a specialist, right? Not every job in cybersecurity needs to be a specialist. Governance people don't need to necessarily be you know, technical specialists, they need to have an understanding of, you know, policies, uh, standards, regulatory requirements, and, and how to monitor manage things, but they don't know that. Not the awareness people, they don't really need to do that. But there is a need to, you know, the, the specialism is not going anywhere, it's actually required. And I think, look, we, we, we the, the way we look at it, I think the old way of setting up a cybersecurity team was that everybody had to be technical, but actually, you need a little few, a, a bit more non-technical people in order to be able to relate to your audience, right? Or relate to your stakeholders or relate to your users. Paul, come to you. That's such a difficult question um, to answer. It really is. Um, it depends, I suppose, two key things is how mature your organization is and how mature your, um, your security team is. Um, you know, if you've got a small organization, then you can't really afford too many specialists because you know as we talked about earlier on retaining staff and just even getting quality staff is so difficult these days so it depends how big your budget is and how many you can hold on to um and as a point that moses said you do need those specialists to build the team but if you specialize too much then you're going to have so many weaker areas you start to build your team up you know you're looking at threat hunters you're looking at dlp specialists you're looking at incident management specialists uh, and how far does your pot of money go? Because I mean, I, I think most of us sitting here will struggle to go to the board and ask for a team of 30, 40, 50, which is what we really need to run a proper security team. Let's face it, you know, normally we'll get two or three if we're lucky. Um, and on that point of the, the technical side, again, I 100% agree with, with Moses. When I moved into an organization, um, we took down the walls of the, the, the SOC function and we sat within the IT floor. So you have this team that was very used to being locked away in a corner somewhere and never interacting with the rest of the organization and the walls went down. So all of a sudden they were having to communicate and talk to the rest of the business. And they initially struggled um, with that because they were used to very much talking technical within themselves and not 
trying to retranslate that to the rest of the business when somebody come over and asked a question. But I think these days, forgetting about the generalists and specialists on subjects, I think most SOC engineers need to have that hard skill, that technical skill and that soft skill. There needs to be a really good match there because I think the business is requiring these people to go out and communicate more with the business now to understand what the business wants to do. And on the numbers, I'm sorry, I, I have 50, 50, 70, 30, 80, 20. I'm really not sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I agree with, uh, with everyone, you know, on uh, uh, on this subject, and I agree that this is a very tough question, to be honest. So, uh, but I, I would say, uh, you know, it, it it also depends on the on the company size. So, if you have a big company, you might end up with a lot of specialists, yeah. And but if you are a small a smaller company, you might need to do, uh, you mean you might need more generalists, like in terms of you need someone who can who can be who can do everything. Um, uh, one one of the one of the strategies I've I I followed, especially when you have a tight budget, and when I was building I was building a team. Um, I mean, and by the way, you, they used to call it the incubator. So when they wanted to create a new team at the business, they used to come to me and say, "Can you build this team?" And I build it and deliver it to someone else, and off that end up with uh, building another team. So I started as an example, building a uh, I built customer support and delivered it to someone. Then I built IT team. Then I was like. I can't take all of this. I just need to focus on my IT team. Um, one of the strategies I've I've I followed when at the beginning of building a team, it was to like make sure like everyone can do everything, in a way share the knowledge within the team, um, uh, just to avoid in the beginning, especially when you are a small company, to avoid the specialist um, term because you will end up with someone who, let's say, um, he, he he can master like you know. Um, he knows a lot about um, Smurf attacks, and someone else who doesn't have that knowledge. So, what I, what I try to to do over over the years, as soon as I can, is is to spread the knowledge and to to have more generalists in a in a way. And uh, you will get to the point where you you know you need a specialist. Let's say you are talking Kubernetes security here. So uh, this is a is a very very um, one. It was one of the very toughest like um, uh, recruitment um, thing I have done. You know, you can't get someone with 20 years of <laughs> Kubernetes experience. You need someone, it's just a new technology. So uh, that's when you're gonna need um, more specialists. But I would say when you are in a smaller company, you need more generalists in the beginning to, till you get, um, and later on you'll get, you will need more, uh, sorry, specialists. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Dan, anything to add? Um, I mean, not much to add because I think every, like everyone hits the the main point spot on. And um, I can just talk about like from my experience that uh, I don't think there is a right or wrong way to do it. Um, like similar to what Paul said, like I don't think that the right number exists. You need to gauge the company, and um, you need to gauge like what the company needs, whether it's a uh, whether you're still starting your team, whether the team already exists. Um, I think that starting off with having generalists is good, especially if the team is still, is still building up, it's still immature, um, so that you can start building your processes, understanding your risk, building that rapport with the company. And then potentially if there's, for example, any high risk area, I don't know. So again, going back to the example to product security, if you know that uh, the company's bread and butter, butter is actually building products, I think once you have a good amount of generalists, um, in your team, it would be good to, if you find any and if you get the buy-in, to invest in someone that's a bit more specialist in that area, but with the focus of not for them to like gatekeep that area themselves, but more to knowledge share uh, within the team, but also outside the team, like with the company and build that kind of trust with your product teams, with your dev teams, so that you can increase awareness on that high risk area across the whole uh, company. I mean that's the way that's the way I did it. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule for this, though. Thanks, Dan. Cool. Um, and that loops back to our, our original topic uh, and questions about retaining staff. So if you do have a number of generalists, creating that skills framework, you know, creating an appetite to to learn, which I think both Diane and Moses mentioned right back at the start, drives the team to 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 want more and stay. If you're actually investing time and energy in them to learn new areas. Now, I've had a lot of cyber security 
Um, I've done a lot of cybersecurity interviews and I've asked the people just coming into the industry what they want to do. And it's, well, I want to do cybersecurity. Well, if you're having an interview, you know, for a doctor or a nurse or, or that, a medical profession, you have an idea, a rough idea of what you want to do. Do you want to be a surgeon? You know, do, do you want to specialize in a certain area? head, feet, legs, arms. But it seems in this industry, when you talk to people that are just coming in, it's just cybersecurity. Um, so giving them the option to be a generalist and then to fee, you know, get them to understand what part of the industry they enjoy and then being able to build up their knowledge and be making them become more specialist in that area. Yeah, you know, I absolutely agree with you because um, I think the other thing that I've tried out in the past is actually having semi-technical generalists come in and, and follow your exact method that you just described there and then put them on a rotation across the departments. And what then happened in that is that, you know, surprisingly enough, two or three of those guys became um, super technical by the end of it. Like, and they became specialists. Literally, they didn't want to do anything else but specialize in, you know, defense, cyber defense, and literally spend all their time doing it all the time, and, you know, it was strange because they came in as generalists. They were meant to be part of this kind of evangelizing team. And all of a sudden it was, it was completely different. It was just like, no, no, I just only like this. Dan? And I think like that's that's so good to do. Like it's so refreshing to hear because also um, even if you do have the budget, right? I don't know about everyone else, but you can have the budget. But personally, I'm st still struggling to recruit because there's not a lot of people, uh, not a lot of cybersecurity professionals out there. So if you have someone and they're a generalist or they're a junior and you're investing that time and uh, if you're investing your time or maybe someone else in your team's time to help them grow, I think that we all need to do that as a service to the industry in general. Like we all need all the help that we can get. Um, so that's also that's really refreshing to hear that uh, that you are also doing that. Thank you from th thank you. Thanks, <laughs> you I just want to say, you know, you know, Diane's Diane's last last comment just, you know, it leads to my to my my question, the question I I I will be posing. So that's what I want to say, just regarding the recruitment yeah. process. No problem at all. I mean, but yeah, we'll, we'll go we'll go to your question then if you're ready to go. Okay, so I mean, as we all know, to build a high-performing team, you know, you need to attract the right talent, right? So, and as you know, it has been, it it became really tough to find the right security talent over the last three years. Uh, tough in terms of budgeting, and uh, you know, especially after COVID hit planet Earth. So, I mean, the the the, the cyber analysts you used to hire on 30, 40k, now you know, if you want to get someone probably need 50k or as a minimum to get a cyber analyst so i just want to my question is how can we make the most of the recruit what can we make out of um, most of out, out of the recruitment process to attract talent and build high performing teams yeah look uh, you know we should we should definitely spend a lot of time looking at um outside of our out of, the, of the technology groups right because there's a lot of talent outside of that that's the first thing I would say. And that can complement us in one or two ways. One, we might have to invest more time in bringing those people up to speed, or we actually learn the behaviors that's developed into some of our um, technologies, such so qualities and things like that, right? Those technologies are, are really important to our day-to-day -day structure, what we do and how we do it. But what, what does happen by bringing in people away from our profession is that we learn the behavior, user behavior, right? That we can then put back into some of our development of our tools and things like that. But the second piece of that for me is that, you know, we, we now start to look at, we, we get an increased talent pool to start with, then we got a diversified talent pool, right? And then that kind of empowers us in many ways to do different things that we may not. And, but in order to attract those people, we've got to think a little bit outside the box because, you know, non-technical people are not just going to want to work in cybersecurity because they traditionally they've seen it as, oh, these guys are all technical and do I speak the same language as them? Are they even speaking the same language I speak? Those kind of things, right? So we've got to, we've got to work a little bit around making sure that we, um, we encourage them 
and, and create a path for learning, a path for training and a path to upskill them to the level that we need because of our, the shortage that we have now means that we definitely have to go outside of our kind of tech pool that we've always had. Dan, up to you. Um, uh, yeah, completely agree. I think that also cybersecurity, I mean, we started off by being purely technical, by being a purely technical professional profession, right? And that is what was needed at the time. I think over the past years, cyber cyber security or information security has become has evolved, and I see it becoming um, it's it's needed in every part of the business, technical and non-technical. And the way I see it is, there's a technical side of security, but there's also so much more that needs to be done from a non-technical point of view. So, say for example, end user awareness. So, giving training to people. I feel that not. Every Everyone can do that. So maybe someone from uh, that's been previously a trainer, or someone from that was pre that previously worked in people ops. Those skills are transferable for them to be able to then give training. But then, obviously, as as Moses said, we need to be ready to invest because we can't expect these people to know how to train on a topic they have no experience on. So we need to be able to invest the time to transfer skills or maybe send them to um, send them to training, for example. But I think also we need to spend some time uh, as security professionals being uh, more vocal, communicating better what cybersecurity is. I think there is still a lack of understanding of what it means to work in a cybersecurity team. I mean, even sometimes looking at job specs, it's, it's disheartening for a candidate to apply because are, are we looking for a rocket scientist here? I mean, it doesn't have to be so hard. So, I mean, I think we need to be a bit better by communicating what we need so that we can open up our pool to, uh, to people outside of cybersecurity. That's it from me. Okay, Christoph. Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Diversity um, within a cybersecurity team. That's the only way that you're going to build that, you know, um, utopian high performance team. Um, having, you know, different ideas and different thoughts, because I've seen over the years so many SOC managers and CISOs building a cookie cutter team, you know, they're, they're like for like. And if you have five people that think exactly the same in a team sitting in a room and an incident comes in, you're going to get five of the same answer, which sometimes is the wrong answer. Where if you have that diversity and you have people seeing the world just slightly differently, means that they're going to come up with potentially different answers but as a collective and as a group you come up with what you think um, should be done or what the problems are um, as an example i i hired an incident manager that had never worked in cybersecurity in his life but he'd worked in the organization for 27 years and this was a global organization i couldn't buy that information he knew every nook and cranny of the business so when an incident was happening he knew exactly who to speak to, where the infrastructure was globally. Now, I could not bring an incident manager in that may have been doing the job for 10 years and turn around that level of knowledge within such a short time. I found it was easier for me to teach incident management than it was to teach 25 years of, of business to this person coming in. So, and I think um, Diane mentioned it, it, it cybersecurity is not just technical now. It's the same as we, most people believe hackers are the, you know, the hoodie wearing thrash metal techno sitting in a dark room. You know, these people have got their flip flops on, they've probably got Coronation Street in the background and they're just listening away while they're, they're, they're you know, they're hacking somebody. It's the same as the cybersecurity professionals. You know, we're not sitting behind closed doors anymore. We're not we're not sitting behind computers. We're open and facing the business. So having those soft skills and those non-technical skills um, just reinforce the whole SOC team. Well, uh, yes, I mean, I would agree with every single point um, uh, you mentioned on uh, you all mentioned. Um, one of the thing I, I, I followed over the last couple of years um, to build high performance team, especially when I don't have a budget, was uh, involved in the security champions program. So I was able to recruit and believe me, it worked. I recruit internally I, to have the largest team in the company without, you know, have the, that direct line reporting line to me. And I had people from HR, had people from marketing and 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 from, from all departments. And in the end, they ended up to be the voice of security, which maximized, the, you know, maximized the uh, 
maximize the, the security um, awareness and stuff like that. There is another element I followed in the last uh, role and it really worked. And uh, um, I, okay, so we need to recruit more women into into cybersecurity world. And there is a bit like a lot of talent there. And uh, basically what I, I asked the recruiters in the last job. So, you know, and without being a sexist here, I just said, if you want to send me two, um, two, two, CV, two guys CVs for male, you need to send me two CVs for, for a woman. And ended up hiring one, I meant hiring one of the best engineers uh, in my team. She is now like a security principal. She's doing really well in the, um, the outside world. The other thing is to look at the attitude and you know attitude and um, the potential. I mean, I know that there are a lot of talent there. You just need to go and find it. Sometimes you, I my last hire, uh, which was a cybersecurity analyst, was someone who hardly I could see the potential within, within you know when when it was uh, when interviewed him, but he didn't have the technical skill. He was more less he was like a generalist, and he ended up to be like one of um, to take the lead after I left. I left the company I worked for. So uh, um, I, I just want to say and uh, emphasize on what Diane said in you know spreading the awareness about say cyber what cybersecurity is. Uh, it's not about like 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 in the Matrix and oh we have a we have a hacker attacking us now. It is live. He's 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 in level two. He's in level three. It's not the same. We need to go and. And we, we need to be the voice of security. We need to go and explain what's go what what is cybersecurity. And and I think we need to start thinking like Moses said, outside the box. It's not only we don't need only technical people, like as as he said, in governance and stuff like that. You, you don't need technical people. Risk, understand the risk. Anyone who you know, risk is risk, whether it is a technical risk or not. So you might need a technical insight, but a risk, a risk is a risk to the business. It means losing money, as an example. So uh, yeah, that's it. That's it from me. Thanks, so much. Uh, and yeah, I have a question for the panel. Um, obviously, bear in mind that the the skills shortages that are out there. Um, obviously, how you go about attracting these these high quality staff and to complement the teams. Um, obviously, is it other things that your business is doing to attract these people through from aren't necessarily already out there? Welcome to you, Paul. Um, I could be quite flippant. In one of my last organisations, we were offering tier three analyst £80,000 cars um, as a sort of company car bonus. You know, what can you say to, yeah, to that? You know, some of the, <laughs> these guys and girls were 23, 24 year old. Um, but taking that flippancy away, it, it is difficult because I found a lot of engineers now looking at the company they're coming to something that i used to always do you know are they financially sound are they growing as a business well you know the, these engineers are starting to be quite savvy with that as well especially with the world we're going through the recession that we have definitely hit and we're, we're going through so they want to go to a company that's got stability first and foremost and then i had a lot of questions in my previous careers around career path uh, as well in training so it's not just about the money. Yes, money gets people through the door, but a lot of people are now looking for that stability within the company, that career path so they can grow, and, and with that, that the training. Um, and I think a lot of companies are still are very immature with their training packages that they're offering um, because they're still sort of trying to keep the whole company happy. And £100 worth of training uh, might do really well for somebody in service delivery or IT or, or HR, but when you're spending £5,000 on a SANS course, as an example, the, the money's just not there anymore. So I think organisations need to come round to opening their training budget up a little bit. Thanks, Paul. Diane, welcome to you. Um, so I would say that I I completely agree with what, uh, what, what Paul said. That's something I've been noticing, that uh, you, you'd meet with potential candidates and those are the first questions that that they ask about the stability of the company so it does feel like uh, that needs to be front and center in your job ads for example or when you're marketing the company maybe communicating how the company is doing and being transparent about that which i think is very relevant because we're seeing a lot of people being laid off unfortunately over the past few months so i think it's a it's a very relevant uh, concern for many people not just cybersecurity professionals 
Um, on, on my end, what I like to do personally is two things. So as me, as Diane, I like to be vocal about my opinions around cybersecurity. So the way I see things when it comes to managing teams, the way I think that cybersecurity is a risk-based profession, um, my, the, the fact that I think that having career progression in your team is important. So I like to write blogs and share my opinions. I think that that helps. And also then when I'm interviewing, I also like to give the, the candidate an idea uh, of the fact that I have a strategy. And I find that a lot of candidates interact well with that and some even ask for it. I think that a lot of cybersecurity professionals want to join a team that has purpose, not just join a team where cybersecurity is just a compliance checkbox. So I think having a strategy, at least a very um, high-level one that you can share with potential candidates can help the, can help get their buy-in, help make them want to be part of your team. That's it from me. Sam, Moses? Yeah, look, I, I agree with everything that everyone said there, but I think for me the most important thing, which which you've both made, but you know, Diane and Paul mentioned, is very clear, is that you need to be able to articulate the, 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 the company strategy, right? You need to be able to articulate your strategy. And you need to be able to articulate to, to, to the incoming person how you're going to develop their career and help them take their career to that next level. Uh, and unfortunately, as I call it, Generation Z have so many other things that they need to tick the box on before they join your company. So no longer are you just, you know, you might be, you know, these days you can pay the best money. It actually doesn't mean they're going to come and work for you. Right. So but you need to tick that box and making sure that you define the success factor for your team, you identify the critical components that's required. You formulate a kind of like a, a logical decision-making process. But you know, form foremost, you need to kind of demonstrate to them that you know, in your firm, you know, the best thing that cybersecurity can do is invest in cybersecurity, and that to me means investing in the people and investing in their development, which work both ways, right? They 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 provide a high level of support to you as a company, but at the same time, they feel like they're being developed, they're being challenged, and they're coming to work in a collaborative, challenging, highly driven environment. But the, 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 I think the tables turned a little bit where the, 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 um, the candidates have a lot more option and they really just want to choose uh, not just about their job function, but actually about their core values. One thing I, I did forget to mention, and I think Moses just briefly touched on it without saying it, is is this remote hybrid work. And I think we need to have clear definitions now of what we're expecting from our teams moving forward. I think there is a lot of people have got very used to fully remote working. I'm I'm one of them. Um, I don't have to go into the office at all now if I don't want to, which I don't want to, because um, I'm about 800 miles away from the main office. Um, but it, it's it's I think companies need to realize remote working is here to stay. Um, and for the ones that haven't embraced it, they really do need to because they're not going to attract quality staff or they're going to have people that are going to be trained up and then they're just going to leave because they can get the same money or better money by sitting at home wearing their flip flops and shorts than putting a shirt and tie on and going into the office. So I think I mean, I, we're still talking about it now believe it or not, companies, and you, you probably know yourself, Rob, from the recruitment side, is people are still demanding staff go into the office for certain you know, job roles. And I think that needs to change. Abbas, what up to you? Yeah, um, and, um, one, one, I'm, I'm not going to add to what, um, what everyone said, you know, because I, I strongly agree with every single point. Um, one of the, of the, of the, well, the thing I see when when you know you are approached by recruiters when they say you know we have this and we have this so, so my, my the first thing which interests me myself is a project show me a project show show me that you are not only adding because you know adding a security professional uh, or personnel to 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 your company now it's, it became like a trend over the last three years I've seen a couple of companies that just want to add someone on the payroll say yeah we are we are doing security. I know money is 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 at you know uh, is at it's an attraction for everyone. We all need money. We all need more money. I mean, but that's not that's not only the, the only story. You need to make sure as well to show that you know they will have a career here. Um, you know that is career progression. So if you join us, you know, um, you might you might end up here or you might end up there and you know I, I would say i would encourage like all people who are posting jobs there please do not put that we offer p 
pizza Tuesday or something like that. That's ridiculous. I don't think people are still looking at that anymore. And the other thing is you need to make sure like to explain to you, like Moses said, uh, just to explain to you the individual that, you know, uh, cybersecurity is in the core of the strategy of the company. So we are taking this uh, seriously. Um, and uh, probably you can offer them to join you for a week. We, we, we had this. We tried couple of individuals when we said can you come and join us for two or three days we'll show you the environment we'll show how we work here and, and that that really really helped um and make sure that you know you, 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 there are a couple of things and when you are looking at a job description i mean one of them is check like you know yeah they will offer me a training when you are recruiting them do not ask for a classic cv classic cv does not work anymore on its on its own uh, ask them to do a presentation about themselves, about the subject they love. You, you don't need to go and just say, uh, it doesn't need to be a technical subject. That will allow you to understand how, how they work. And that will give them, um, that, that, you know, I know some people might say, oh, yeah, I need to do a presentation about myself and stuff like that. That's too much. But believe me, most of the people who end up doing a presentation will be the, or the top of the talents. I'm not saying top of athlete because, you know, that at least they tried. Um, and one one of the other things we we started as a in my previous role as well, um, because we were a smaller company, so it was easier to take a decision. Uh, was, was social media exposure. So, oh, I know we all we started something called the Open Security Summit. I don't know if you know about it. Um, and uh, it's a summit where all like security professionals go and present about you know cyber trends, uh, and it is it is a free. So what we started to do is started to get the engineers involved and doing their own presentations about like different projects we worked on and that created exposure on the social media encouraged other as well like other professionals to come and say do you have do you have any jobs they, they wanted to join us so uh, this is one of the strategies it's a long-term strategy but it's really good it means it shows that you trust your people and you are working on your people and it it really attracts talent thank you so much paul your hand up um, yeah, um, I'm going to put, hope, well, maybe the, the, the final comment on your shoulders. You speak to an awful lot of candidates and an awful lot of hiring managers. What are we doing wrong as hiring managers to not to attract talent? I think as a candidates at the moment are looking at a lot more. And I think everyone touched on it. The values of a business, it's not just about technology anymore. And, and, and in most cases, a job spec that comes out from a business is useless. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a wish list of like multiple technologies which actually no candidate's ever going to match because that's that's your tech and your business that's that's what they'll their cv will look like if they work for you you know so there's there's a lot more going into it and i suppose being willing i mean placing adverts out there nowadays occasionally will get responses but i think most cases adverts don't really get anyone nowadays um going out and doing a bit of everything more doing be creative do video content you know as i've said you know going out there and actually speaking at events and showing them what your team's about and who you are and, and i suppose as a business themselves getting involved in events there's there's lots of different events out there where people you know quite successfully go out there and, and pull in lots of people but i mean i'll, I'll be honest if you had, i mean from a biased perspective not all agencies are bad. I don't know what your what your thoughts are on, on agencies across the board, but work with the good one, and you know they they will be an extension of your team, and they will take your message to the market and speak to the right people. They they've got the tools to find the people, and and that's one thing that businesses don't have. I mean, a lot of businesses have their bits. You have your tools to do security. I've got my tools to go and find the security people, and and have been speaking to them for years. So my network's probably much larger than, than than your own you know so using my like just me as an example using my network and going out to that network and speak to the individuals i know can do the job you're looking for you know adds adds, adds a value there but we also get a pulse of the market so we can go and speak to people and see actually what do people think about qualis in the space you know and, and you know what was what the impression out yeah. there you know what is the if we start speaking to people and people go oh no i've heard bad things well where's that come from you know so there's there's um there's lots of different things and there's no there's no one way one way to fix it i think it's just you've got to be willing to try everything i mean we, we've got a client very small outfit in in uh in gloucester so like tewksbury area a very niche area but they do a lot of government-based work um and because of the work they do they don't really advertise anything that they do because they can't you know they're, they're very much a secret squirrel kind of organization so we've had to really go off piece with them and create all sorts of video content that we share with the communities to get the people through but it allowed us to really spread the message that 
what they're trying to do, you know, is good work. But also on a Friday, for example, they let every, all their guys, you, it's a research day. You, you go and do research, you know, unless it's your own projects, go and do your own stuff. And if it's a good piece of work, we'll bring it into our own piece of work as, as an organization and push it as a product, you know, giving them little extra things like that. Cause it's just something different that they can't get anywhere else, you know, but again, I, I lived in that area until recently. So I know what company you're talking about as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good little company. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you mentioned about the home working thing. It, it is something that comes up, and a lot more clients are now starting to creep that back in, come into Bristol three times a week or something like that. People just don't want it, you know. If they don't, if they don't have to do it, then they just won't. Yeah. My my last ask, and sorry for jumping in without putting my hand up, is is putting the salary on the job spec. I know that can be uh, that can be a political fallout for some people, especially if you're competing within your team. But I found a lot of people not answering adverts because there wasn't that range within the advert and just being ignored. Yeah. Sorry, well, I'll, that, I'll, I mean, I'll wind we, we, we are always asked that same question: Do not do not advertise this? But again, we we would heavily suggest the alternative. And you know, we don't have to put the exact salary in there, but putting some sort of range on there would always would always yeah. allow someone to know if they're landing in the right spot or they just want to apply. Yeah. Yeah. Question I do have for you, Rob, for, so for teams that, or for, for HR departments that are not so successful, particularly with technical recruitment, right, or should I say technology recruitment, you know, and they, they, they focus most of their recruitment on LinkedIn and not using specialist companies, mm-hmm. what is your advice to such departments? Because it does hinder the ability of, you know, technology teams or, or cyber teams to recruit the right levels of people. What yeah, yeah. I think ultimately, if you don't, if you, I mean, tools like LinkedIn are, are great, um, but if you're not a recruiter using LinkedIn, you probably don't know how to use it properly. You know, you might, you might have be able to contact people and drop messages. These guys are getting hundreds of messages a day, you know. Um, so hitting the, the right people with the right type of message is, is something that LinkedIn train out to, to recruiters. We also have specialist recruitment tools that work in, in LinkedIn. So there's tools that aren't available to, to the commercial market because there'd be no reason for a business to buy that tool. It's too expensive. But for recruitment, it, it's great. You know, we can uh, obviously recruit the cost by by finding placements on it. But it's something that, you know, finding it, it is a lot of the problem is that, you know, as, as I'm sure you appreciate, if you hire the right person, yes, using recruitment comes with a fee, but getting that right hire in there can 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 more than recoup that, that cost, whereas getting the wrong hire in can can be, you know, devastating. You know, you can get the, definitely get the uh, the mix wrong, but also the time it takes for most internal teams to find the right people. Um, by then, you know, you could have used an agency like Phil within a couple of days, you know, because they're probably already talking to that person. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, if if someone's using LinkedIn to find it and they don't know how to use it properly, that's probably, probably part of the problem. Can I add something just about the you know not putting the salary range? I am I am one of the people who do not apply. If I want to apply for a role, I would not apply for a role if it doesn't have a salary range, range because I've been, uh, I don't know, I've, I've I've been you know bitten by this like a few times when you go and you waste time, you just waste time, uh, just like going on up on an interview and. And in the end, like they're not offering what you want, or uh, it is below expectation. Yeah, definitely. So, is any 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 further points on that on that particular question? Stuff. Okay, we'll we'll sure wrap it up there. Well, uh, so um, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I will take this opportunity to thank Diane, Moses, Paul, and Abbas for providing their insights and topics. And uh, thank you for listening. If you want to get involved in any upcoming podcast, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or on my email, robert.wall, evolutionjobs.co.uk. And we'll see you next time.